0: We are. have had a few technical difficulties it is with technology you may I am once again coming into Cole's channel y'all give us just <laughs> Hang on, sorry. Okay, we'll try to mute here. Sorry about that, folks. I am so glad y'all have grace for us. (laughs) Do what? Yes, we have. Thank you. We appreciate that. Okay, we'll give that a shot. Um, so something you may not know about me, I I don't like to get my hands muddy, dirty. Um, I I I don't mind hard work at all. I there's just like have you ever touched one of those old swing set poles that are oxidized and your hand turns white? that feeling of that stuff on your, oh my gosh, it just drives me nuts. And so I try to avoid, (laughs) I try to avoid that. I I don't like that. It's some kind of tactile thing for me. Um, But it's not just mud though, because I mean, this goes a little further. Sometimes I don't even like messy situations in life. Um, You know, sometimes things with uh, relationships can get messy. I don't like that. Um, Sometimes, uh, just things with people in general can, can get messy. And so sometimes I even have a tendency to kind of try to avoid that because it's not always comfortable. I don't always like that. In fact, sometimes I will go out of my way to step around a messy relationship. Like if I see somebody being rude, um, I'm likely to turn the aisle in Walmart and go the other direction somewhere just because sometimes it's easier just to kind of avoid that uncomfortable situation. It's muddy. Um, It's kind of, you know, it's it's that spot on the trail I want to avoid if I can. So because of this, it's true for um, a lot of things in life. Uh, It's just easier to go around some things, Than to navigate turbulent and uncertain waters. Um, Why do we as individuals consistently jump over mud puddles that we come across in life? We do it with dirt, we do it with people, and here's something else we also jump over mud puddles with Jesus (laughs) when it comes to Jesus. Now, here's what I mean there are some muddy things um, in our human relationships. Um, especially, though, in our relationship with Jesus regarding Scripture. There can be some things that are unclear, some things that are muddy, some things that are not easy to understand, and sometimes it's just easier to avoid those, or at least we might come across it and then kind of quickly label that and say, oh, I've given a label, now I can move on. And, and we, that's all just kind of jumping over Jesus' mud puddles because it's too messy sometimes is the way we feel about it. And it's a little uncertain. And if we think about it, if we go into that mud puddle with Jesus, it might rock our faith. So we kind of just avoid that. Let me give you some examples of some Jesus mud puddles. Uh, Jesus said some really loving things. And we love that. We love the loving things that Jesus said. But Jesus also said some things that hit a little bit harder when we look at those. Um, Things that we might rather jump over and not hang around those things too long. And uh, let me give you a couple examples. Like Jesus said, uh, let the dead bury the dead. And that doesn't sound very compassionate. It doesn't sound very kind or very friendly, pretty harsh. So we just kind of rush by that and we quickly keep going and we move on because, well, it is messy. We typically jump over those messy things. We kind of avoid those mud puddles. Like when Jesus said, you must hate your parents, your spouse, your siblings, oh yeah, and even your children. And we get to that and we're like, "Ah, uh, mm, uh, not today, Jesus. (laughs) I'm going to just move on. And then we find where Jesus says that we must be perfect. And we start thinking, perfect? Um, I'm hoping that's not what that means. Surely he means something else. But just in case I'm not sticking around here where you got to be perfect, I'm going to move on and just slide right on, right? We do that. Or we'll just maybe quickly give it a label and say, oh, this falls under this category. And uh, we just then keep right on trucking if you grew up in the seventies. So, which is like that. That's how you truck. Um, (laughs) so that's what we have a tendency to do because those things can seem confusing. They can seem muddy, messy, uncomfortable. So we just move along. In fact, you may have never even heard some of those things that I just mentioned that Jesus said. And That's just simply because we often don't talk about amongst ourselves or our family. We don't talk about those things so much. We're so accustomed to just kind of moving past things that we don't understand. So the reality is we have missed a lot when we just move past those things. So why do we do that? Why do we just move on past the things that are a little bit muddy? Let me try to offer a few reasons that might. Maybe one of these maybe might apply to some of us. Um, Maybe it's because we're afraid those things because they might make us lose this pristine, really super nice, clean image of Jesus that we grew up with. So it's easier to move on because it might change that image. Or maybe it's because we're afraid. Maybe we're afraid that we might actually, if we dig into this, if we jump into that mud puddle, we might find out that we're wrong about something that we've held on to for a whole lot of years. So maybe we're afraid but we might be wrong about some issue or some theology, some doctrine, something we believe. So we're a little afraid maybe to upset the apple cart or to rock the boat. Or maybe it's just that our faith, maybe our faith is just kind of hanging on by a thread And we're afraid if we dig into that, that that last thread that we're hanging on to will be cut and we will abandon our faith altogether. Because we can't look at that thing that we're tempted to walk around, because if we do, it might just push us over the edge. So we'll have a tendency to kind of quickly label some things. Um, if it's confusing, if if it's muddy, if it's not clear to us, we might say things like this. Well, that's just Jesus for you. He is God after all, and it's just a mystery. And we label it a mystery, and we just move on. And because we think it's a mystery, we think that we have kind of permission to kind of skip right by it. So, If you have ever done that this morning, I want you to know, good news, you're not alone. (laughs) I've done that too. We've all done that on some occasion at some time. You're not alone. We don't often step into those mud puddles, and we certainly don't jump down into them and just kind of wallow around in the mud. When we wallow in those uncertain things, I think the key is we're trying to get to know Jesus better. And and really, isn't that the point, right? Getting to know Jesus more and more and more? I, I really think it is. So, if we want to know him better, we can't be afraid to get down into the mud puddles from time to time. And today, this morning, we are actually going to jump into a Jesus mud puddle together this morning. And we're going to wallow around this mud puddle and we're going to try to understand the heart of Jesus more. And I believe it's actually going to be kind of fun as we do. I I believe it's going to be super practical because we're teaching you how to wallow in the mud puddles with Jesus. So I also think it might be a little bit motivational as we see what we discover about the heart of Jesus this morning. Because our purpose, the entire purpose of what I'm teaching this morning and what Cole is teaching in Stuttgart today, the entire purpose is to teach you how to jump in there with Jesus and wallow around into some confusing things with Jesus, into these mud puddles as opposed to jumping over the mud puddle, just brushing them by, or giving it a quick label and moving on. So Cole and I have chosen a very specific um, a passage this morning, a, a, a moment in time where Jesus did something that can be a little muddy, a little hard to understand, a little confusing. So our mud puddle for today. It's that time that Jesus walked into the temple and while he was there, he got angry, really angry, Uh, and that's not all. He didn't just get angry. He flipped tables, and he turned chairs over, so we could say it was kind of a rage. He was really angry. As some of you may be nudging your neighbor right now, and you may be saying, is that really in there? (laughs) Did Jesus really do that? And the answer is yes, But others of you may have heard me describe that story, and you might be thinking something else. You might be thinking, oh, yes, 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 I remember that story. Oh, yes, that's the time. I know it's the one that um, it's a great example of Jesus being angry, but he didn't sin in his anger. And so we have deduced that's the lesson for us. That's what we need to learn. We can be angry, but don't sin in your angry and in, in your anger now for generations that's what pastors and christians have talked about and taught that that is a great example and that's what we take from this story and so we have labeled it as Jesus being angry but not sinning in his anger there's where we have landed well The sad thing is, um, that's just not what we're being taught in this story. It's just kind of a label we've placed on there to kind of make sense of our angry Jesus that we see in this passage. Now, we're going to jump into the mud puddle. Are you ready? Ready? We're gonna get our hands dirty, our feet dirty. We may, we're gonna wallow around in this a little bit. We may get really dirty this morning, but we're gonna show you our attempt is to show you how to slow down, how to slow down and wallow in the mud puddle with Jesus and maybe discover some things that we have missed. But first, I need to give you two reminders and one warning. First reminder, when we wallow in the mud puddles, we must be reminded that everything, absolutely everything that Jesus does is subject to love. So important. To the brokenhearted, Jesus is like a medicine for their heart. To the hypocritical, Jesus is their worst nightmare, (laughs) because to the hypocritical, he might have to get in there and break some bones and reset some things so they can heal properly. But that's a wonderful analogy, because either way, whether it's medicine for the heart or whether it's a broken bone being reset, the purpose is to heal, and healing is always an act of love. So now for the second reminder. Now this is of primary importance. It's the reason we don't have to be afraid to jump into the mud puddle. Here it is. Before we begin jumping into mud puddles, we must answer life's most important question first. And we talked about this just recently. Because the answer to this question is what your anchor is. Our anchor is not what we think about the Bible or Scripture. It's not what someone else thinks or tells us. Our anchor is the answer to this question. And we can always, when things get too muddy or too uncertain or too unclear, we can come back to this anchor always. It's the answer to this question. What's the question? Here it is. Who do you say Jesus is? And your answer to that, if you say Jesus is your Savior, your Lord, your, uh, the one in whom you are following, if that's true for you, that is your anchor. So, when everything else gets too confusing or too muddy, you can always come back to that that 's your anger that anchor that is so important so those are two uh, reminders here 's our warning this is important too if i 'm wallowing around in a Jesus mud puddle and I come to an understanding of what I think is the heart of jesus i 'm looking at something he did, or I'm looking at something he said, if I'm the only one to interpret something that way, (laughs) or if there's just not many people, this is important too, if there's not many people who interpret it that way, I'm probably wrong. That is an important warning, okay, as we wallow around the mud puddle. Okay, so with those reminders and with that warning, let's jump in to this mud puddle. Now, as we go this morning, we are simply giving you some ideas about how you can yourself, because that's the goal of this, how you can jump in and wallow around a Jesus mud puddle. Um, these are some ideas about how to study scripture, about how to understand and make more sense out of something that's confusing in God's word. Um, it's how to go beyond uh, the where we just simply say, oh, this is what I think that this sentence means. Because honestly, simply saying that's what I think it means. That is not a great Bible study tool, (laughs) okay? So we want to get you beyond that. So here's the passage. I want to read it very quickly, and then we're going to break it down into pieces, okay? So here's the passage. Michael's going to put it on the screen. Here we go. Jesus entered the temple and he began to drive out all the people buying and selling animals for sacrifice. He knocked over the tables of the money changers and the chairs of those selling doves. So here we have our mud puddle. And the first step for you to when you jump into a mud puddle for you, the first step to understand this is not understand this is not an isolated event. This is not a one-off type thing. Because there are some things that happened before this. There are some things that happened after this. And sometimes to understand what the event is, we have to understand a little bit here and a little bit here. So we need to ask this question, what is the context? In other words, what's going on around this event that can help us understand it more? Which means in order to make a mud puddle less muddy and more clear, we might have to go upstream where the water's flowing and a little more clear, right? And then we might have to go downstream, where the water has settled a little bit and look there as well. So we're going to go upstream, and we're going to go downstream as we look at this to get the context. What happened before? What happened after? Um, Most of that information you're going to find within the very passage you're reading. Just look before and look after. Sometimes you can go to one of the other biographies, one of the other Gospels, and you can get that information there, okay? So we happen to know, um, because it is written in here for us, we know what the context is. Just before this instant where Jesus goes and flips tables and chairs, just before that, the, it's either uh, hours before, it might even be the day before, we're not sure. But just before that, Jesus experienced what's called the triumphal entry. It's kind of a triumphant time where he comes into Jerusalem. It's super, super cool because this entry into Jerusalem, this is all the way towards the end of his ministry here on earth. This entry was predicted in Zechariah chapter 9. And so Jesus comes into Jerusalem and he's entering Jerusalem as the Messiah for Israel. All right? And so he has, because he's coming in as the Messiah with the triumphal entry, he, um, because of that, you know what? I need to say something about that. Next Sunday, we actually celebrate that. The triumphal entry of Jesus. We call it Palm Sunday. Cool. All right. So, um, but as he came in, he came in with the authority of the Messiah. As the Messiah, he had authority. Okay. This is significant. So Jesus enters Jerusalem. Now, let's look at what happened after. Uh, After this moment in time where Jesus flips the table, we are told that he walks up to a fig tree and he curses the fig tree. (laughs) Great. Another mud puddle. (laughs) So here's the nice Jesus cursing a fig tree. Okay. So there's a mud puddle there. You're going to have to jump into that one. At some point, okay? That's not our mud puddle for today. But if we look a little further past into the what happened after, we find out that Jesus is just days before his arrest, his torture, his crucifixion, and his resurrection. Which means to me that everything he is getting ready to do these days before that happens. Everything is very, very significant. If you know you're about to suffer, torture, and die, what happens before that has got to be very, very important. So, you already get an idea. With the context, what happened before, what happened after, we get a little better understanding of what's going on right now now and we just got started so now let's get into that mud puddle um we're going to wallow around so back to our passage now michael's going to help us here we're going to break this down kind of a phrase at a time okay here's the first phrase jesus entered the temple all right so we have another question we need to ask if you're going to wallow in mud puddles here's the second question first one was the context second one is this When and where did Jesus say or do this? When or where did he do it? So we know from what we're reading here that this happened in Jerusalem, and it happened during this time called the Passover feast. So that's when and where it happened, all right? Now we're going to dig around a bit into history, all right? And if you do, you're going to discover something about this when and where. There are normally in Israel, in Jerusalem specifically, about 30,000 people this, in, in Jerusalem. But this time of year, that number swells to about 200,000 people because this was a mandated festival, a feast. They had to come. 200,000, if if at all possible, they had to be there. 200,000 people were going to be there. Now, you're not going to find that in Scripture. Nowhere does it say 200,000 people gathered. You're going to find that if you dig into the history of Passover. So looking and understanding about some confusing things Jesus says and does might require us to look at the history of what's going on. All right. Specifically, we are told that this event with Jesus flipping the tables, this event happens in the temple. Um, That's the very specific place that it happens. Now, the temple was a natural gathering place because all these people were coming in as pilgrims. They had to come. And so they all had that temple in common. It was a big part of the Passover feast. And so they would gather at the temple. Now, I think for the um, the guys here, um, I, very soon, it's not just yet, but very soon you're going to see a picture of the temple, okay? And when you do, that outer court, we're going to be talking about that in just a moment. Because this natural gathering place of the temple, um, if you dig just a little bit more into the history, you're going to find out the part of the temple that probably this happened is a part called the, um, the court of the Gentiles, now the court of the gentiles as you're looking at the history of this the court of the gentiles was the size of about 16 football fields altogether which means it's about 35 acres which means it's about 1 mile all the way around the court of the gentiles and the court of the gentiles surrounded all the other parts of the temple. A mile in circumference. That's pretty significant. So we see digging into a little bit of the history kind of is going to give us an understanding of what's going on. So it's going to help. So almost a mile in circumference. So here's the next question we need to ask now. What did Jesus actually say and do? So, as you're jumping in the mud puddle with Jesus, that's the next question you probably should answer. So, here we have Jesus, probably in this very specific part of the temple, this giant, the largest section of the temple. And what does he do? It says that he began, Jesus entered the temple and he began to drive. Out, So we're going to pause here. Jesus is showing us because he could do this, he could drive them out. He had authority over the temple and everything related to the temple. He had authority. That is so important. He had authority over the temple of God the day before, many of these people saw Jesus come in with the authority of the Messiah at what we call Palm Sunday. And now they see him flex his authoritative muscle over the temple. Now, these people knew something that maybe we didn't know. They knew that it was prophesied the Messiah would purify Jerusalem. The Messiah would do this. And they were seeing and interpreting this as him driving people out of the temple. They were seeing that as him purifying Jerusalem. They were putting all that together. So now here's our question. Okay, he's driving people out. Who is he driving out? The, the text tells us, it says this, that he was, driving out the people, buying and selling animals for sacrifice. That's who he was driving out. Now, one Bible scholar tells us this, and yes, Cole and I, and Bryce, and and also Jeremy and Stuttgart, we learn from experts. So one Bible scholar Uh, told us that the Gentile court, as we know, it was being used as a marketplace, okay? We know this because we see it here in Scripture. But he told us behind the scenes that the high priest, his name was Annas, the high priest, um, something really shady was going on. He was getting rich from all of this buying and selling. Now, it looks a lot like the Jewish mafia. All right. That's that's as I describe this. Just kind of think of it in those terms. Annas was one of the one was the high priest, and he had a bunch of other chief priests, and he had some other partners who were religious teachers, and they all came together, his little crew, and they made sure that this mafia transaction thing was was happening and it was running smoothly. In fact, uh, this scholar in his research, discovered that the people in the area gave this a nickname. They called it the Bazaar of Annas. And Annas and these guys came together to make sure everything would run smoothly. And then Annas and his guys, they got their cut, their share. And so they were profiting. Now, here's kind of the way it worked. Uh, Again, this just takes a little extra study on the history surrounding all of this. So the merchants who were selling things would purchase rights to sell inside the temple and the space they were going to sell. They would purchase and buy rights to do that. and That's where they would sell. That's where they would offer money changing, where they would sell things for the sacrifices. Now, um, So, they would have rights to sell or they would have rights to exchange the money. So, they had the proper money for the temple. The temple required a very specific type of money, and that's where they would do that. Now, remember, the Jews are coming from all over Israel. They used different kinds of money in the other parts of Israel. So, they had to change it, but they also traveled. They could not travel with their sacrificial supplies. So, once they got into Jerusalem, That's when they would go change the money and they would go buy the supplies they needed for the sacrifices. That's what was happening. Now, the mafia priest, (laughs) they would get the franchise fees from the merchants, allowing them to sell. But then they would also, these mafia priests would also get a cut, a percent of everything that was sold and that's bad, right? That's bad, but it gets worse. According to the law, only the animals that were approved by the priest as acceptable could be bought and used for sacrifice. So they made sure, the the chief priest and the other mafia priests, they made sure that none of the other sellers of animals outside of the temple, none of those were acceptable. The only acceptable ones were the ones sold inside the temple where the priest and the chief priest, the chief priest, and the other guys were getting their cut. So they conveniently made sure that's the way it's going to work. Now, so they gave all the business to the guys where they were getting their cut. They had a monopoly on this thing. It's it's like, it's like extortion, right? They had no choice. The people had no choice. One Jewish Christian historian, um, here's what he said. He said that the worshipers in his study, he said, he discovered that the worshipers were paying about 10 times more for those sacrificial supplies than they were really worth, 10 times more. And, And he also told us that the, the money changers added a 25% fee on the exchanging of that money. Wow. So you, you know what this is like? This is what it reminds me of. If you go to a concert at, um, over in North Little Rock, or if you, even if you just go to the movies <laughs> in Benton or Hot Springs, you go to the movies and you step up to buy popcorn and a Coke and some candy, And you know what those prices are like? And you're like, oh, my word, I can get that for a dollar at Walmart. And they're going to sell it to me for I don't know how much, 10 times more. (laughs) That's kind of what it was like. But they had to. You can say, no, I'm not going to buy it. They had to buy these things. They didn't have a choice. It's extortion, very much like the mafia, right? I mean, that's why I, I think of that. So now at this point, we could choose to step out of the mud puddle And and, and we could choose to say, okay, the reason why Jesus did this was because the worshipers were being cheated. And God is angry that the Jewish people themselves and the priests are cheating the Israelites. We could step out of the mud puddle, but we would be wrong to step out of the mud puddle because that is not the message in this text. Because notice, Jesus drove out the worshipers also. Not just the people selling, he drove out the people buying as well. So there is a much bigger reason than the people simply being cheated. So Jesus is making a big point here. He's actually fulfilling. Old Testament, Old Covenant prophecy. And he's demonstrating that he is on a mission from God. He is on a mission. And he had the authority in this mission. He had the authority over the temple. He had the authority over the merchants. He had the authority over the worshipers. He had the authority over the priests as well. This is huge. Now, because we're looking at the history of this thing, we're going to notice something really, really interesting. Follow me with this. It goes on. We're, we're told that he knocked over. Let's see, where are we? Um, he, uh, he knocked over the tables of the money changers and the chairs of those selling doves. So G- this is telling us Jesus made a scene. Uh, he, he created some kind of uh, ruckus, but something's missing. Because notice, there is no temple guard around. There are no Roman soldiers that show up. And listen, the Romans, they took this seriously. I mean, they would squash any trouble immediately and very harshly, and especially during Passover, when they grow from 30,000 to 200,000 people in Jerusalem, the Romans would be very, very cautious about any trouble, any ruckus, any things. They were closely looking for riots, rebellion, a disturbance of any kind, and they would immediately go to it and stamp it out immediately. They would crush any disruption. But they don't do that here. That's very significant. So it very well may be that this was a much smaller event than we have always thought. Because there are no Roman soldiers stopping what's going on. Isn't that interesting? So as it's turning out, the mud isn't so scary after all. See, it it probably was not a large-scale disturbance. It was just enough for Jesus to represent his authority, especially over the priest. And it was big enough to get their attention but it was not big enough to get the attention of the Roman soldiers. Now, when you really think about that, that it kind of makes sense. Because we're talking about an area of 35 acres. And one disturbance in one small corner of an entryway into the temple is not going to draw the attention of the entire mile circumference of people jammed into that space. In fact, most scholars today agree that it was more of a symbolic gesture. It was Jesus acting out Zechariah chapter 14, verse 21. And here's what it says. This is the prophecy. On that day, there will no longer be traders in the temple. Merchants, traders, And Jesus is fulfilling that prophecy, acting out that prophecy. Just as he had acted out a prophecy the day before, that prophecy was Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9. Let's read this. The day before, when Jesus comes in as the Messiah, here's how this went down. This is the prophecy version. Rejoice, O people of Zion, and shout in triumph, O people of Jerusalem. Look, your king is coming to you. He is righteous and victorious, yet he is humble, riding on a what? A donkey. That'll do, donkey. (laughs) Riding on a donkey. Riding on a donkey's colt. And that's how Jesus entered as the Messiah, fulfilling that prophecy the day before. That's how he acted it out. It's very similar to how some of the Old Testament prophets acted out their prophecies as well. And here's the point. As we look at this, it kind of appears that this account given to us by Matthew is not really a serious attempt to empty out the entire one-mile circumference of the, uh, uh, of the um, uh, Gentile court and to clean house permanently for the future. That doesn't seem to be the purpose. But instead, it was more about maybe Jesus making a statement to everyone around that Jesus, yes... I am the Messiah, and I have authority over the temple. I have authority over the people in the temple, and I have authority over the priests who serve in the temple. Why? Because I am the Messiah. In fact, more than likely, those traders in that spot, those merchants, were probably back in their spaces the next day, very possibly by that afternoon. Now, please. Don't miss this peek into the heart of Jesus. Jesus came to this earth as a humble little baby. But here, and in some other places in Scripture, we see Jesus forcefully hate sin. Especially sin that treats God and his holiness flippantly. And that's what was happening here. So, this isn't about Jesus being angry and not sinning. This is about Jesus being angry about sin, their sin. Matthew goes on and describes now, he says, And he, that's Jesus, said to them, uh, He said to them, the scriptures declare, my temple will be called a house of prayer, but you have turned it into a den of thieves. Now, once again, Jesus is not just making that up. He's quoting scripture here. He's quoting from Isaiah 56, 7. He's quoting from Jeremiah 7. And in Jeremiah 7, it says that this is a house of prayer for all the nations. And where was he? In the court, probably the court of Gentiles. Jesus was was angry, especially with the priest, because of where all of this buying and selling was taking place. And that's not all that we discover. As we dig around the history of this, as we wallow into this mud puddle with just a little bit more research, we find this out. We learned that this buying and selling used to happen at the Mount of Olives, outside the temple, down the, down the hill, up the, up the hill, at the Mount of Olives. That's where it used to happen. But now they had taken something that was holy and it belonged to God, the temple, and Jesus is responding to this with fury. Just about three years earlier, a man named Caiaphas, who was really the guy pulling the strings for Annas, he was a little more powerful, not in charge, but he was in charge. Three years earlier, Caiaphas had allowed those merchants to move into the temple. Now, at that time, the Sanhedrin, which was kind of the high court, most of the Sanhedrin was against it, but they did it anyway. They moved the merchants into the temple three years earlier, somewhere around A.D. 30. So now, back to this instance. We have one spot in the temple cleared out by Jesus, and immediately something else happens. Jesus immediately turns his attention to something else. Here we have it on the screen. He immediately does this. The blind and the lame came to him in the temple and he healed them. This was Jesus refocusing their attention. It's, it's almost as if Jesus is saying, Stop what you're doing. This is what the temple's all about. This is about God loving his people. God providing for his people. God healing those who come to him broken. Now the soldiers may not have had a clue what Jesus was doing, but word got to the mafia. And they show up. And here's what happens. Matthew tells us, verse 15. The leading priest and the teachers of religious law saw these wonderful miracles. They didn't think they were all so wonderful. And they heard, that was the healing, and they heard even the children in the temple shouting, praise God for the son of David. But then it says the leaders were indignant. Let me tell you why. The children saying this makes them even more mad. Here we have Jesus who kicked out the buyers and the sellers, Kicked out the people who were giving the priest all the cutbacks, all, all these, uh, their cuts. So he kicks out the merchants and then he lets in all the broken people, all, all the dirty people, all the people who were broke and they had no money. He brings them all in. But do you know, do, do you know why he could bring them in? Because the temple is his. It's his temple. That's why he could invite them in. So and that, and that made these leaders, it made them indignant. They were so angry. So here's how they respond. They're going to confront Jesus. Here's what happens in verse 16. Here's what they say. They said this. They asked Jesus, do you hear what these children are saying? Do you hear what they're saying? That's what they say. And, and and so let's, let's unpack. There is so much to this. I wish we could spend the rest of the day unpacking this. We can't. You need to unpack this later, but here's just trust me. This is a mud puddle you want to jump into. Here's why the temple leaders were mad. They know what the children are implying. They know that the children are implying that Jesus is the one He's the son of David. He is the Messiah. That's what the children are saying. And they also know this this is gonna be a big problem for them, huge. And so they're gonna have to deal with this fast. See, they saw the triumphal entry and Jesus flexing his muscle as the Messiah, and they heard about Jesus cleansing. The temple. (laughs) They saw, they're putting all this together. They saw his authority. They saw his pronouncement, his judgment. They saw him healing people. They are putting all of this together. And now they see the children proclaiming him as the Messiah, the son of David. And it is just simply too much for them. I mean, they are going berserk. Obviously, this is just too obvious. It's too, they know what all this means and what is being implied, and they're indignant. And they say to Jesus, Do you hear what they're saying? And Jesus responds, Yes, I hear them, as if to say, yeah. They're right. Yes, I hear them. Oh, and this is so cool. Then he says, "Haven't you haven't you ever read the scriptures?" He's talking to these really 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 smart guys. "Haven't you ever read the scriptures for they say." Now he's going to quote again. "You have taught children" and infants to give you praise. This is huge. Have you ever heard someone say that didn't really know, they they said, Jesus never, never really claimed to be the Messiah. Jesus never really claimed to be God. They didn't read this and understand it. those children said, you were the Messiah. That's what those words meant. The son of David. And Jesus said, yes. And then Jesus went so much further. He said this, haven't you read? And then he quotes this, you have taught children and infants to give you praise. When those smart guys heard this, they knew who the you was. This is so amazing. You, that was God. God, Yahweh, you have taught the children and infants to give you God, Yahweh. Praise. Do you hear what Jesus just said about himself? And these priests were picking up what Jesus was putting down. Jesus quoted Psalm 8, which is a verse about kids, children, even infants, giving praise to God himself. And Jesus is saying, oh, yeah, that, that's about me. Oh, my goodness. He is saying that everything the Old Covenant, the Old Testament says about Yahweh is also talking about me. Oh, he's saying Yahweh is me. Why can he say that? Because he is Yahweh. Oh, my goodness. This is huge. Do not miss what is happening. Jesus is saying not only is what the children are saying, not only is that true. Yes, I'm the Messiah. But I'm telling you, Jesus is saying, I'm telling you myself, I am God in flesh. And I love what happens next. Listen to verse 17. Then he returned to Bethany where he stayed overnight. Bada bing, bada boom, we're done. Mic drop. End of the day for Jesus. End of this once muddy, muddy passage. So for today. What did Jesus say or do? What really happened here? Well, here's here's kind of the shotgun, the boom 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 what he did. He drove out the people who were buying and selling. He knocked over some tables, kicked over some chairs of money changers and people who sold doves. He then quoted scripture And he's angry at God's holy place being trampled and disgraced. Then he begins to heal people. The children come up and call him Messiah. He then agrees. He was then confronted by the religious law people. And Jesus quotes more scripture to them. And it's scripture that says, all the praise that God gets, by the way, that's also me. And then he returns to Bethany. Wow. So much more than Jesus being angry and not sinning in his anger. And so here we have Jesus. Instead of attacking Rome, Jesus attacked Judaism. Instead of being a conqueror, he was a confronter. Instead of promoting revolution, he preached righteousness. Instead of clearing out the Roman enemy all around them, he cleaned out the sin enemy inside of them. And because he has the authority to do it, that's why he is the Messiah. He is God. Now, when laying down into this mud puddle that we have so often labeled as just a lesson in how to be angry and not sin, it appears that that's not the lesson at all. Instead, this is a massive declaration of how seriously God takes worship, how seriously God takes his holiness and his glory, and how seriously he takes our sin. And here's our point today in doing this exercise together. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid to get down into the mud puddle, into those things that are confusing. Don't be afraid uh, afraid to try to figure out some uncertainty. Maybe wander past some deep assumptions that you have made for years. Don't be afraid of getting your hands dirty. Now let me say this what we just experienced together and walking through and jumping in and wallowing around this mud puddle. We've spent a few minutes on this today. But more than likely, what we have talked about today might take you weeks of a little bit at a time every day of digging just a little bit deeper every day for weeks. So you're not going to end up with what we talked about today one time just reading through this passage. This may represent weeks, but don't be afraid of jumping into that. We will never, ever understand everything this side of heaven. But I promise you, we can understand more only if we slow down and only if we wallow. If we don't just take the easy way of stepping over it or going around it or just labeling it, maybe we can see and understand the heart of Jesus more. Do you want to get to know him more, better? Then pay ridiculous attention to what Jesus did and what he said, which means you've got to be okay with wallowing around the mud puddle from time to time. Let's pray. Jesus, you desire, (laughs) you desire for us to know you more. And Jesus, you died to make it possible. And so, Jesus, may we stop jumping over, may we stop moving around things that are unclear, and instead, may we diligently try to understand your heart more and more. And, Jesus, we ask that you would have your Spirit help us to understand. Jesus, it is in your name that we ask these things. Amen.